0: So, I'm currently a medical student in Japan.
1: My name is Rodrigo De La Torre. I am currently a research associate in the Basu Lab.
2: Generally, how did you
1: decide that you wanted to go to grad school?
2: So, I think I kind of always thought it would be cool, and then recently I, I realized that I really like teaching, and so I'm hoping to like do my PhD and then be able to teach neuroscience. I would
3: like to tell personally myself, I don't think everyone should say this depending on your situation, but like, stop worrying. Don't apply to 20 schools. You'll probably get into one. And worst case, you just like work another year.
4: So you're thinking about applying to grad school, but where do you begin? How do you know that you're ready? Where do you apply? How do you set yourself up to be a competitive applicant? Seven years ago when Ethan and I were applying to PhD programs, we struggled through the application process and know how difficult it can be. What we want to give you, dear listeners, is advice to make the process easier for you.
0: Today
5: is the first episode of a multi-part series where we will discuss the ins and outs of applying to neuroscience programs from the perspectives of students who recently decided to take the leap and apply to neuroscience graduate programs, to successful applicants who are now doing their PhDs in neuroscience here at NYU, to faculty and staff who can fill in the black box about what goes on behind the curtain. In the end, we hope you too will be encouraged to apply to neuroscience PhD programs and will be successful in doing so.
4: Let's start by hearing from people who might be in your shoes. They've made the bold decision to apply to graduate school and have just embarked on the process. I spoke to Emily Arsenal a bachelor student in Canada, and Yuki Fujishima, a medical student in Japan. And how did you decide that now you're ready versus, like, you know, waiting another year?
2: Um, Well, I, like, I took two years off after high school before I even came to university for my undergrad, and, like, that was fun, Um, but I don't want to be in that kind of, like, in-between anymore. Like I really, I'm kind, I'm kind of on a roll a little bit, I feel like with school and I just want to keep going. And I also know that, you know, grad school and if I end up getting my PhD, it's going to take a long time and I Mm -hmm. don't really want to be in school. Like in my 30s still, I hope hopefully will like have more of a job by then and, and be able to settle down a bit more. Like I'm probably going to move for grad school at some point. So yeah, I know it's like a long journey and I'm like, Kaylee, let's just keep it going.
4: (laughs) Yeah, if you're ready to start, it makes so much sense. Have you been getting mentorship throughout the process of your application?
2: No, like official mentorship things. Like I talk to, like my department is pretty small. So I like talk to different professors and stuff and just kind of hear their advice. But yeah, nothing official like that.
3: Well,
4: Emily didn't have direct mentorship. She had worked in a lab for a year with a PI who just started off, which allows her to do a lot of independent work. Yuki had a similar experience. While he didn't have a lot of direct mentorship experience, he was exposed to research and found that he had a passion for it. It also offered a different way forward than his medical degree.
0: I've been working on uh, mainly EEG and MEG research. Um, um, I started initially because I met this um, psychiatrist who, was really really good at math and like he's during his lecture I just sort of just got really interested in what he was doing so I just um, started um, you know not knowing that uh, it was going to be like this much fun and (laughs) yeah and then um, and then I started um, my hospital rotation as a medical student and um, during which I met, I met, I met um, this 14 year old boy with leukemia, and like he, um, oh, well, th- the story is that he didn't have any symptoms, but he um, hurt his leg, and went to see orthopedician, and then just did a normal blood test, and he, that's how he found out that he had a leukemia. And that, like, this idea of like you can have a serious disease without even knowing like without even having any symptoms, like really scared me, even though I should have known all the stuff from the textbooks, but I didn't know that, you know, someone can actually experience such thing. And uh, for some reason I got like, I got several panic attacks from that. And then, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And then I gradually found out that it was panic attack. Then I, that's how kind of, I, how I got, interested in um, fear and anxiety um, issues. So, yeah, so I was working on um, MEG. I started working on MEG before that experience, and then that happened, and I sort of like, um, thought I got even more interested in doing research. Another
5: applicant, Rodrigo de la Torre, has also been working in a lab here at NYU and wants to go pursue a graduate medical, that is MD-PhD program, to continue to pursue his interest in neuroscience research.
1: I graduated with a degree in neuroscience back in 2019. So I've been working full-time at the Basu lab for a year now. I've always been interested in, in the way we form memories or the way we, that we learn. The Basu lab is focused on the circuitry in the hippocampus. Um, which is yeah critical for, for integrating our sensory information and, and forming these different memories and storing them. And so we're using really cool optogenetic approaches to selectively either activate or silence certain pathways that we know are important for memory, but we're not exactly sure what kind of information they're contributing or, or what exactly they're important for. Um, so recently, I've, I've been able to, to tease apart uh, different kinds of inputs into the hippocampus and see how it affects a mouse's behavior, or a mouse's uh, ability to learn or, or recall certain kinds of information.
5: People applying to graduate schools come from all different backgrounds with different experiences and different expertise. They have different reasons for what attracts them to programs, We talked with Rachel Weintraub-Brepta, a Senior Program Coordinator at the Neuroscience Institute, to hear a little more about the type of students who apply to the neuroscience program here.
6: Hi, my name is Rachel Weintraub-Brepta, and I am the Senior Program Coordinator at the NYU Neuroscience Institute. Uh, So I am primarily involved in education initiatives, uh, going from the research associate to graduate student, postdoctoral level, um, along with working with faculty. Uh, So I kind of span the, I like to think of it as the the ladder of education in science. So at NYU, the the neuroscience program that we have is separated in two different tracks. So we have the cellular molecular track, and then we have the systems computational cognitive track. Um, And so when we get applications, we we try to sort them into very, very basic um, uh, understandings of these uh, two different tracks and assign faculty to review based on their common interests. So, you know, someone who's reviewing an applicant would have some background in that area. Um, And then after that faculty reviews the application, um, they give it a score, then moves on to a different faculty member to review. And then that faculty member gives the score. Um, So there's actually a few different levels of review here. Um, And each application is reviewed somewhere between one and three times, depending on the scores that they get.
4: A deciding factor for you and whether or not you're ready to apply Maybe, will grad school programs think I'm ready to accept me into their program? We spoke to David Chopik, a professor of neuroscience at NYU Langone's Neuroscience Institute, to hear more about how he evaluates a candidate and decides whether or not they are a fit for NYU. David is one of the professors who sits on the review committees for incoming students. He provided us with a behind-the-doors look at the application review process at NYU. As I'll mention, it's a pretty subjective process and likely varies across and even within institutions.
5: What kind of experience does NYU look for in a candidate in terms of, say, like GPA or background experience with research, diversity and education, experience, identity, and how does that type of information enter into that um, score, that initial score that helps
7: students get to the interview stage? So I think the fairest way to answer that question is first to say that I can answer that as as for myself and how I read and weight different things, but one of the things that makes the admissions committee particularly strong is that everybody has and applies their own individual rubric. So me personally, uh, I look at every single transcript and we'll go into that detail in a second there are others who look in much more detail into the rec letters or who look in much more detail into different aspects of the essays right there's uh there's a standard research essay there's a personal there's an opportunity to talk about personal experience there's an opportunity to talk about uh quantitative training and things like that so uh everybody weights things differently. And so you have to take what I'm about to tell you through that lens. So what I can say, I think may get to a broader question, right, which is for the students that have just finished up and they're thinking about applying to grad school, right, for the applicants, what is it that they can do to have their application shine And all of the things, right, all the history, all the GPA, the experiences in class, out of class, research experiences, that all plays into making the candidates who they are. But how is it that you package that essentially, right? And so the one thing that's true of every single reader, regardless of what their particular weights and feelings are, is that everybody is reading the applications with an eye toward answering one question, really only one question, which is, why NYU? Why should this applicant be part of that class? What is it about NYU that attracts them? And what is it that they would bring to the student body? What is it that they would bring to their cohort? So. Consider this if I as a reader have to make it through 75 applications and then another 75 applications There's really only and so empirically it takes me about 15 minutes to really give an application a good and thorough read and Consideration and take some good notes and figure out how I would present the case one way or another Um, That's a lot of time to put in and we do it happily But you applicants can make this much easier if you write your application with me in mind. Think about me. I've got two kids. I don't really sleep that well these days and I got to get through 75 applications. How quickly can you get me to the answer of why you would be a perfect fit at NYU, right? And there's, ample opportunity to shape that in your essays. There's also ample opportunity to lay out why your GPA was what it was, if necessary. There's ample opportunity to describe the research experiences that shaped you and got you excited. And it's lovely to read about your motivations. It's it's a privilege to get that insight into who you applicants are. But if it doesn't answer the question of why NYU, then I could be really excited about the person that you are, but you're unlikely to make it to the next stage because I don't know why you're applying to this program whether that's broad or narrow, whatever it is, have an idea of why you'd like to go to graduate school and then go to the neuroscience website. It's got a long list of faculty members. Take the time to look at what they do. I would say we're, we've gotten a lot better. 90, 95% of us have reasonably updated websites that are not from you know the late 90s with flash animations and whatnot. So you can really get a sense of what the lab is doing and what might interest you from those websites. Maybe look at the titles or even the abstracts of papers that have come out of the lab. Say, hey, I might be proud to do that. I might be excited to do that. Just to be perfectly frank, if you cannot define what it is that you want to do because you're interested in too many things. That's not a problem. Pick four, pick three, and write about those as if those are the three most interesting. Don't worry about, you're not tied to any of these. You're applying to the program, and once you get here, you can rotate with whomever you want. You can study whatever you want. It's not a contract, but it helps me answer The question, when I have to go and and present your application and say, you know what, she is just the best thing since sliced bread, and here's what she wants to do, and here's why that just fits. Here's what she would bring. She just, yeah, bring, we have to interview her. So to the extent that you can help me answer that question efficiently, and you can give me an informed answer to that, your application will shine relative to your peers, the specifics about how much does your GPA matter, it doesn't really, there are many applicants that we've had that we invite for interviews that had a really rough first semester, maybe second, maybe even first, second and third semesters. And honestly, what that reflects is the privilege that they've had in their upbringing. Did they have a high school that prepped them for college? There's a fantastic book by uh, Jess Clarko called *The Hidden Curriculum*, and it talks about the things that you know, uh, right? First-generation academics broadly couldn't possibly know, right? There are codes of behavior, there are ways of succeeding, there are all kinds. If you've gotten to the point where you're considering applying for NYU's neuro program, you've already done a tremendous amount, and and should be recognized for that. That's fantastic. But if your path was not straightforward, if you had a rocky start and your the number that is your GPA reflects that, don't worry about it because I'm going to look at your application and I'm going to look at your transcript from the first semester to the last semester. It tells a story right if you have had a rocky time with classes all throughout four years what it says is you know maybe maybe the academics for whatever reason are just giving you a challenge and that would be that would be something you'd have to address but if you had a rough couple semesters and then hit your stride or let's be frank got the support you need from the home institution and you started to shine we will see that we will take the time, we look at that, we think about that, because always when I'm reading the application, I'm trying to make the strongest case. How could I effectively argue that this person belongs at NYU? David
5: also makes an important point that addresses another question applicants might have. Why not just apply to dozens of programs? You might not be picky. Your only goal might be to leave with a PhD in neuroscience. When looking for a program to apply to, It's best to find real reasons that drive you to want to apply there. Maybe it's the culture, the value system of the place, or the research topics the faculty have expertise in. If you're pursuing your PhD in some STEM field, let's say it is neuroscience, you're probably going to spend five years in that program. Chances are, it could be more. Most PhD programs in the sciences typically range from five to seven years, and we should consider ourselves lucky because many humanities PhDs go even longer.
4: With that type of time commitment, you really want to make sure you would fit into that place. We caught up with two current graduate students here at NYU, Shannon Sherick and Maya Hopkins, to tell us how they ended up here and what their experience has been like so far in grad school. David mentioned looking at professors' papers to see if their labs would be a good fit for you. I'd also recommend using NIH Reporter to find synopses of their current grants which can give you a sense of what they're working on right now and what they plan to be working on in the near future. Okay, Shannon, so uh, how did you know that you want to apply to grad school?
8: I think it honestly was mostly just the path that I was on and there wasn't a specific moment where I was like I really want to go to grad school because I love doing this and think research is great. I think I just started doing research because I was a science major and pretty much everybody at my university does undergrad research but I do think when I was a junior I took this lab class that I really liked and the two of the professors were just awesome and clearly loved science and loved teaching young scientists like how to do science And I think that was when I was like, okay, I could see doing this and not hating grad school.
4: And how did you decide which programs to apply to? Did you apply to Wisconsin's program like where you did your undergrad? Um, Did you like shoot for a certain number? Um, Yeah, were were there certain factors you're looking at, like location, um, you know, like what kind of neuroscience programs they had?
8: Yeah I think I considered a lot of factors. To be honest I feel like I was very naive going into the grad school app process. I didn't know anybody who had ever applied to grad school other than like professors and stuff but I wasn't gonna ask them the nitty-gritty details and I didn't have a lot of factors though. I didn't apply to Wisconsin because I knew I wanted to move and I also knew that it would be like a hard decision for me to move if I didn't just remove that decision right away. Um, And then I was mostly interested in learning and memory at the time. So I just Googled programs that had interesting PIs who were doing learning and memory research and then kind of started to broaden my horizons a little bit and just looked at interesting professors but I don't know, it was somewhat random, somewhat was based on this is a good school, but I also don't think I really knew the top programs necessarily in neuroscience. I think I was just like, this school seems cool. And then honestly, I applied to NYU in large part because one of my best friends had started dental school at NYU that year. And I knew that you got to like fly out and, visit and they pay for it. And I was like, this is the cheapest way I can go visit my friend. And then I started looking at the PIs here and they were actually very interesting to me. And I was like, okay, perfect.
3: Hi, my name is Maya. I'm a current second year at NYU. And I, I guess I'll start with schools. I went to Penn for undergrad. Um, and then I did a two year tech job at Rockefeller. And then After two years, I came to NYU Um, and I've always been interested in kind of learning and memory topics. Um, Yeah, I guess when I was in undergrad, I started as a psychology major because I was kind of like, oh, my mom's a psychologist. Let's just go with that, start undeclared, but kind of do psychology. And then all the classes I took were like, I found not that interesting. It was a lot of like abnormal psych reading case studies uh thinking about just like psychological theories and i didn't really like how qualitative it was i worked in a psych lab and i basically like did phone screening for a study on like anxiety so it's just me calling like random people saying oh do you fit this criteria and then a lot of them would just tell me their problems and be like i'm really anxious i'm like well i can't help you (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I'm like, do you have drug use? If you don't, you can come to the study. Um, and then like scoring surveys. And I just didn't really like that so much. So I started doing more neuroscience related classes and I really liked those more because they were kind of not cut and dry, but more quantitative, more like, more you can manipulate things more in like an animal model than just studying human behavior.
5: When you were looking at programs, How did you decide which programs you wanted to apply to? Like, what were some of the features that you were looking for?
3: Um, So I definitely think looking for what labs you're interested in joining are. And if there's kind of, you want to make sure there's a really large number of that you would actually be interested in. And then once you, if you get an interview, then you realize a lot of those people aren't even getting grad students. So then you're like, oh, it's a good thing I picked a school with a lot of options, because turns out these professors aren't even looking for students or they don't have funding or things like that.
2: Um,
3: So yeah, definitely by, I guess, people. And also for me, it was location because I wanted to stay in the Northeast. And then I think I I applied to a lot of grad schools because I was very convinced I was not going to get in anywhere. So I think I applied to like 18 something which was ridiculous some of them weren't even necessary like they didn't match a lot of my stuff i kind of reached for like oh i could do
4: these labs
3: so i would not recommend doing that
5: (laughs) if you're applying to graduate school you probably have a lot of questions or you might be wondering how you stack up against other applicants some programs often ones that grant psychology degrees Have you applied to a lab before even applying to the program? Emily had an important question you might be asking yourself if you're in this situation.
2: I mean, I want to know a little bit of just like in general what to expect. But I think also um, really for me is like how to figure out in however long you're going to interview for. And I I realize now it's going to be even different because it's going to be like over Skype. Instead of me going and like visiting the facility and potentially meeting students who like already work there and stuff, like how to, I don't know, spot like a bad apple. I don't know if that's the right thing, but like I've heard of people having really bad experiences with their supervisor, and I have a really good supervisor where I'm at now. So if I choose to leave, I want to make sure that it's going to be someone that I am going to be able to work with well and that is like a positive, supporting person and isn't going to like have some crazy work expectations for me or like not be empathetic if I'm going through something and and so like I don't I don't know how professors present themselves in interviews like that you know what I mean I'm assuming like they're going to be on their best behavior just like I am so how do you kind of like spot that and and what are like warning signs um for someone who might not be compatible with you or who might be just a little bit toxic. I don't know if that's the right word, but I know I know people like that exist out there and I I really want to avoid it at all costs especially if I'm choosing to leave something that's that's really good.
4: We asked David, a good apple, how he'd answer this question.
7: Oh, such a good question. Such a good question. The choice of advisor of course is a weighted one. Right. So the answer I can give is going to be pretty harsh but I'm just gonna lay it out there. The thing that students don't realize, right? And, and this is totally normal because you're all a bunch of fantastic overachievers and you've gotten so far and you've done so much with, with off, sometimes so, so very little behind you. Um, but here's the thing, you're not special. If other students have struggled in that lab, you're probably going to struggle. It doesn't matter if you can talk to the student and you were like, ooh, he is is a piece of work. I can see why he's having trouble. Yeah, maybe, but you're probably going to struggle if other students struggle in that lab. If you have to make a choice, especially beforehand, say, because you're going into a program Outside the U.S. or in uh, site programs, for example, where you're really recruited to a particular lab, you got to do your due diligence and talk to the students. You absolutely have to do your due diligence, especially in a circumstance like that. You, you just need to know that their experience will shape and uh, sometimes, if not always, mirror yours. Labs that have a good track record of supporting their students, uh, will it will not be hard to find evidence. The only exception to this is a brand new lab, right? So a brand new lab is not going to have a track record of students and uh, frankly, the PI is not going to know how to shepherd a student from start to finish. And that might be okay. And it, oftentimes you'll get a lot more attention and supervision and engagement out of a new PI than out of somebody who is sort of called upon to do, you know, senior duties in her field, right? Sit on a billion committees and whatnot. So you have to decide for yourself if that level of engagement is what you want. uh, And you got to be really, really careful about doing your due diligence and finding out what has the experience been like for other students? Just know that no matter how interesting that research topic, no matter how exciting that technology, your experience will be shaped by the interactions with and support or lack thereof that you receive from your PI. So do not get sidetracked by the exciting, shiny things, particularly since, I mean, let's be frank, you're just going to grad school. What do you really know? Right? You'll figure that out three years in, four years in. And that's okay. That's how it should be. If we're doing our job, that's the growth that will make you into a you know a citizen scientist, right? That that is trained to be a productive member of society. But to get you to that point, you need a lot of support, and you need support from your program, and you need support from your cohort, but most of all, you need support from your PI. And the way to make sure that you have that support is to make sure the people in the lab have felt supported throughout.
5: A lot of us, when we apply for graduate school, feel like we just don't stack up to people.
0: Yuki describes a feeling a lot of us have probably felt. Like writing things writing like good about myself is very hard and also I always feel like oh like you know compared to other people like I don't <laughs> have skills or whatever. So it's it's been very <laughs> hard. But fun. Well yeah. Through through that yeah. process like I, I grow more like interest in questions and I, you know, search for more papers and that that's fun but um, writing is tough,
5: (laughs) yeah. But as Shannon states from the perspective of the current students, it's not worth stressing out about or judging yourself too harshly for. At the end of the day, a lot of time, we're our own harshest critics.
8: In grad school, we are not some like crazy smart people who only like the very top get in and whatever. Um, I think we tend to look for people who just seem like they will be a good fit in the community and don't ask them too much about their science because they talk to the PIs during their interviews enough about that. And they don't wanna give that spiel again. We don't really care about hearing it. Like it's, it's interesting to help them like figure out who they might actually be interested in based on what they're interested in studying. But I don't think we're there to judge their like scientific abilities. I think we are very much there to make sure they will fit into the community, that it seems like a good fit for them, and we can also help them with that and be, I think we try to be very honest even if we don't think NYU is the right school for them. I think it's just about like how is this gonna help the student and then also just baseline making sure that they are not a terrible person and aren't like bigoted in some way or whatever.
4: Also, scientists and graduates are still just people. People who like to hang out with their friends, make stupid jokes, make mistakes. Don't hold yourself to some high caliber and let that get in your way of applying to the schools you want to go to. Go do something that boosts your confidence and then go write a fabulous application. maybe we can talk about, like, at least just Yuki's point of, um, you know, having confidence to write it. I, like, I remember when he brought this up, I said to him um, that I felt the same way and still feel the same way when applying to fellowships and having, you know, I have to help write a recommendation letter for myself or, you know, try and sell myself in a certain way. and the thing that's helped me most is to look at uh, people who are very confident and good in talking about themselves, their examples of what they've written. Um, and sort and like copying that, pasting it in mine, and changing it to my name, and then being like, "Oh, yeah, I can say all these things. like these are all real. And then you know, oh. putting in my own words and everything. but so kind of getting their example a- and modifying it.
5: that's a really interesting technique to as a, as a way of seeing yourself, because, yeah, as we're often putting ourselves. Or trying to stack ourselves up to other people's shoes to, like, I guess, like, visualize. It's like almost like a mindfulness thing, like visualizing yourself and being like, "That's right, I, I'm this person too."
4: Exactly, it's refaming, but in the mindset of yeah, of somebody who um, you could also relate to. Yeah,
5: it is a really hard. I think that was during the interview process. It was a, especially tough because when you're meeting all of these people in person everyone's on you know it's like everyone's on their best behavior too and almost like it's it's very intimidating you, you're, you're talking with people and it seems like every other person has like you know oh they did this oh my gosh well this person did this and oh this person ran you know their school pay. no matter what it was but I think it's important to always remind yourself if you're an applicant that you have things that make you stand out. That's why. That's why you're applying. And you know, no one person's personal statement is the same. No one person's research statement is the same. Like you, you bring things to the table. It's just not what somebody else brings, and that's okay. Like David says, there. Are, you know, these committees are looking at your application from a really holistic perspective.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Um, another story I want to tell that's a little bit off topic <laughs> is that the way that I chose programs to apply to, and I ended up applying to nine different programs, um, was based on the research that was there by like thoroughly looking through all the faculty lists and understanding what work they do. And I knew that my goal was to study sex differences or um, the effect of sex hormones in neuroscience, um, which is what I do today. But <laughs> when I got to the program that I applied to that had actually is the dean of the graduate school, um, was studying was studying estrogen so it seems like this perfect fit uh less than a year into my time there he switched institutions so then i had to find a different lab and kind of make that work and it did work out um but i do think it's while it's important to look at faculty and what they do there uh, it's also good to not put your eggs in one basket and to try and find a program that has multiple researchers that are doing work that you could get into and maybe like widening the breadth of your interests a little bit. Because um, really the most important thing during graduate school is to learn how to be a good scientist. And then during your postdoc, you can focus more specifically on your research interests, which might change over the course of like your very long PhD career.
5: That's some really great advice. And it is, that's an interesting dichotomy between applying to graduate school and applying for a postdoc. Because when you're looking for postdocs, like you said, you're really at that point honing in on A a single lab that's doing your research. But as you're right, as a graduate, I've known graduate students who apply to institutions based off one lab and one lab alone. But by and far, that's that's the it's more rare. You want to, like you say, find an institution that feels like it has multiple labs that are doing the type of research that excites you.
4: Yeah, and then being open to the fact that there's so many different kinds of neuroscience research. It's so interdisciplinary. I think even in this podcast, we covered so many different kinds of areas um, and that you could be interested in other things. And like there's ways of combining them or taking a new perspective on something someone's doing in their lab.
5: Is there anything that you wish that you had known during the application process?
4: Yeah, I was so naive. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, Yeah, so I, I wish that I wasn't caught up too much in the specifics of what I wanted to do um, and thought a bit more about um, the focus of the programs, like the things that they valued uh, and wanted to teach and their way of doing it. Because actually some programs, it can be like at least two years of core classes before you even get to join a lab. I know at Yale, some, at least previously, there's someone who came to my PhD program from there who had uh, been there for three years and like still hadn't joined the lab. Um, that might not be the case anymore, but, uh, there's other programs that want to get you out of the core classes and into the lab faster. So that's like something to weigh. Are there things that you wish you knew when you applied?
5: I would echo, if anything, I would just echo what Maya had said. And, in, in one of the introductory clubs to the episode about just not applying to too many programs, there is probably one that you're going to get into. So don't go and apply to. 20 places and, and panic uh, because that's one that's really expensive. <laughs> but but <Yes>. two, <laughs> it's, it's um, probably not necessary.
4: Yeah, I and mean, it's going to be harder or more work to tailor your application to those places and really be convincing about the fact that you want to go there. Um, and I do, I have experience from the other side of like being a grad student interviewing candidates that there are people who just seem to apply to the top programs. Um, and I think, like as David mentioned or pointed out, uh, you know that's not really what we're looking for <laughs> uh, at that program. Like I think, yes, in college, maybe your undergraduate institution matters for prestige, but there are a ton of different kinds of neuroscience programs that all have different kinds of caliber that maybe are just like experts in this one kind of field or really good at getting these certain kinds of grants. Um, so I think I'd be a bit more open-minded about uh, the kinds of institutions that you apply to. Um, and and think about the fact that it's going to be ranked kind of differently than how you thought about your undergraduate institutions. We'll be back soon in the next couple weeks to discuss more of the nitty-gritty of the application process. Be sure to join us for another installment of this series to learn more about how you can perfect your application.